Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. Dinosaur paintings have been doing really well on Tumblr porn blogs right now. Uh, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, they. I don't know why. I think most of them are bots. Okay. All right. But they're posting like kind of hilarious comments on my <laughs> on my paintings. Like, and remember, these are paintings of a, a T Rex and a Mosasaur, and they're getting comments like, "Love her tan lines." So hot. <laughs> so uh, there's so there's something about these paintings that is picking up by the bots that I have no idea what part of <laughs> what the algorithm feeds into that, but it's kind of hilarious. Like just In, I, huh. I, I I I'm curious. I'm 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 still at a point where, you know, I don't get a ton of attention online for my work. So I always right. like want to go through and see like, oh, who's, who's, uh, <laughs> who, who am I catching the eye of, and, yeah. check you know, and like, I have to check and it's like, you know, um, uh, thick thighs aficionado, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to say it right now, uh, Tumblr porn bots are dinosaur fans. Just oh, that, okay. that's, that's what it is. I believe, I believe that heart and soul. Mm, that mm. makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I guess we should introduce our um, our lo- <laughs> yeah. our lo- Tumblr. local expert, Tumblr yeah. pornbot aficionado. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yes. With us today, we are insanely excited to have her on at last, my uh, friend, my confidant, my inspiration, <laughs> Hillary the Clean Machine McLean. Oh, wow. <laughs> such an introduction thank you yes yes well hey she 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 cleans those bones i i do yes i i i'm gonna i'm gonna put that on my official Mm -hmm. name badge now great (laughs) great 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 (laughs) it would work better if it was pronounced mclean i know and trust me it Mm. most of the time is it's the absolute bane of my existence but my scottish Mm. ancestors did not die on the battlefield of culloden for (laughs) you people to say it incorrectly okay (laughs) that's Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. what you got me there that's fair (laughs) yeah yeah joe did you know that like when hillary works in the lab she paints half her face blue it's really weird (laughs) oh really do you yell freedom as well (laughs) oh my god every time are you kidding me? I right. always have Scotland the Brave playing on the speakers in the morning too, <laughs> just to get myself hyped up. You got it. Uh, it's for the ancestors, of course. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. my gosh! Well, thank you so much for for uh, visiting us here at the museum and and being willing to talk with yes. us about some stuff yes, today. Yes, very very comfortable chairs. I'm really liking yeah. the mood lighting we have in the mm-hmm. uh, in the gallery today. It's so wonderful. Oh, thank you. We 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 try to have a comforting experience yeah. here. Is I mean, this is this Zan is is this is this caviar? 
Um, <laughs> yes, but we couldn't find any sturgeons, oh. so we got we got it from mm. some koi. Oh. I don't know if I don't know mm. if that's the same. It's a little bit peppery, you know. My mm. my very refined palate right. as a paleontologist, <laughs> I only demand the highest of caviar. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, it, it would have been more fitting if we found a sturgeon. That's a pretty old fish. Mm. <laughs> I mean, can you get caviar from, like, a cilia camp? I was literally just thinking that, and to be honest, uh, I don't think I'm the expert at that. I don't mm. I do not do fish paleontology, so... Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, those... <laughs> Those people. I mean, those are those are the lesser spectrum of, of interesting things. <laughs> oh my I'm gosh! A, I'm a dinosaur paleontologist. Thank you very much, sir. Wow, wow. <laughs> I mean, as as far as a lot of people know, the only type of paleontology. I mean, I was gonna say that's how I'm coming at this. I was like, wait, there's fish paleontology. <laughs> There's a whole nother lore? Yes. Is that the side DLC that you have to buy? Yes. So, <laughs> so there absolutely is a hierarchy within paleontology, and everyone wants to pretend it's not a thing, and I know I'm going right. to get blasted for this at the next conference we're at, but dinosaurs are absolutely on top, and then it kind of goes mammals, because they're, okay. they're cool, but, like, hmm. large mammals, nobody cares about, like, rodents or shrews. Like, nobody gives a shit. And then under that, it's, like... <laughs> You know, there's there's like one paleontologist that's like really proud to study like leptictidium, um, yes. and is you know somewhere. Well, I well well I think it's cool. Yeah, some, somewhere an audience oh, no. member just shed one tear, um, yes. and then it, and yeah. then it goes to like paleobotany, the, and then it goes the fir- to like the first episode of Walking with Beasts was the best. They had the ambulocetus. Oh the... my god! Get out! Get out! Rose <laughs> <laughs> caviar. Um, but yeah, and, and then and then to be honest, at the bottom at the bottom of the rungs are like fish, invertebrate, mm. uh, rodent paleontology, track paleontology. I'm sorry, but ichnology is not a really big one. Okay, you know huh. when I when I took invertebrate paleo because you had to take them as separate classes at MSU. Right, you had yet you had vert and you had invert. Um, and a lot of our, I'm, I'm not confident in a lot of my knowledge with it because that professor i believe retired immediately after that semester (laughs) oh my god wonderful yes uh and canceled a lot of the final projects canceled the lab exam which i was kind of fine with yes oh wow but one thing he would talk a lot about were conodonts hmm interesting yes and just even the like not quite disdain that he would talk about like conodont paleontologists, but just like, he's like, he's like, there's just some weirdos that just sift through mud. They spend their whole <laughs> life. They spend their whole life studying an animal that we virtually know nothing about, right, but it's right. important to the like oil and gas industry that we know where conodonts are. And, and I mean, to be huh. honest, like, like when I talk about invertebrate paleontologists being like, nobody gives a shit. It's not the like, Precambrian vert paleo, where they're like discovering the beginning of life and the early right. seas, like like that's super yeah. cool. And that of you, course, if, if you you want to be studying like trilobites, if yeah, or like you know cr- early crinoids or like yeah, reef, yeah. reef building from rugose corals or whatever. Yeah. I'm talking like the people that like study worms of the Mesozoic, like 
Okay. Yeah. Good job. It's like, yeah, it's like, it's like, it's, it's like you're into it past the point of when it's cool. You know? <laughs> right. Right. You're like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like when you're, when you're a horse girl, when you're like 25 and you're just like, mm. Mm, you should be past this. Now. <laughs> right, and, I right. say, and I say that and I'm putting myself on blast for this because I am definitely a horse girl. So <laughs> I feel like I can speak about that. <laughs> right. 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 Fair yeah. Enough. It's like you, you came in, um, it, 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 you, you just like came in a little late on it, like when <laughs> when when arthropods were the hottest ticket in town, and then suddenly you know you're looking at them past. You know we we've already got like reptiles at that point, and you're right. just like, eh, right. yeah. I, I mean, and, and again, but before anybody comes at me, then on social media, being like, well, invertebrate paleontologists can tell us climate details and extinction events and the ecosystem buildup. Like, yeah, I get it. But let's be honest. Are you going to click on a post about a triceratops? Or are you going to click on a post about a nematode in Brazil? Like, like, come on. See, even even is- the invert people know this. This brings up another thing that I know about you, Hillary, okay. which is, you know, I, I hear you saying, you know, dinosaur paleontology is the best. Um, but also, you, as far as I know, are not a Triceratops fan. Uh, and and Ooh. you yourself Ooh. are interested in Ceratopsians. Um, okay. Okay, Zan. <laughs> I must defend myself here. Let's let's keep things completely square. I am not a T-Rex fan, mm-hmm. but I am I am a okay. I am a Triceratops fan in the way that a Triceratops is a part of the family Ceratopsian Ceratopsidae, which are all the beautiful big cool horned dinosaurs. Yeah, the best dinosaur. Exactly. And mm. I literally have a tattoo sleeve of like eight different Ceratopsians on my arm because this is what I study. This is what I've worked on in my career. Right, they're right. Amazing. Out mm-hmm. of all of those beautiful, frilled, horny bastards, mm. oh. Triceratops <laughs> is the most boring Ceratopsian. And I okay. absolutely stand by that. And I mm. absolutely have told that to the face of the world's leading expert on Triceratops. <laughs> oh my now, god, wait, really? Oh yes, oh yes. Now, now, was I a little bit drunk when I did it? Absolutely. But right, fair. I 100% stand by that. That it's just it's just three horns and a frill. Like, whoopty freaking do. Like, mm. good job, Triceratops. Now, that being said, <laughs> Triceratops is still better than any other dinosaur. It's just the most boring Ceratopsian. So I just want to make okay. sure very clear here before you start right, throwing right, accusations. Right. I'm, I'm, real, I'm, really, I'm really glad I let you set the record straight on that. <laughs> so, Hillary, you've got a lot of opinions. Um, what? <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> um, well, uh, if you would like to um, give our museum visitors a bit of your background. Sure. Because you know, I know these are all incredibly well-founded, informed opinions. Oh my gosh, yes. Anybody listening to podcasts absolutely is enough of a nerd that they need to know more about my background. Could be could be off watching football. Um, <laughs> I don't know why I'm insulting your guests. Um, yes, I, I, am a, I am a paleontologist. But I'm a special type of paleontologist called a fossil preparator. So basically, it is my job that whenever something is found, I'm the one who's usually called in the museum to go and collect it. I tend to lead a lot of the digs and manage the field program. And then we get it out of the ground, we bring it back to the museum, and then it is my job, typically with the help of wonderful, wonderful volunteers, 
uh, to get the stuff cleaned up, uh, remove the rock that surrounds it, what we call matrix, and get it, uh, you know, glued back together because most of the time the stuff is broken. And then we get it stable and ready to be researched in our collections or to be put on display for museum visitors to come and look at. Uh, and a fossil preparator's job is incredibly important, but often we are in the basement of the museum or we're behind somebody's <laughs> office in like a dark lab somewhere. So uh, I feel like a lot of museum visitors don't realize how much work is done by fossil preparators, that these skeletons they know and love were prepared at some point in the past. So you, you, you don't, I will say you don't get to see a fossil preparator on the Discovery Channel <laughs> <laughs> talking yeah. about T-Rex. <laughs> like right, we just we don't right. we don't get that sort of spotlight. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's 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 hard to put a spotlight on them. Their skin is just so pale. Oh, I know. We, in the basement. Exactly. We we really hiss. <laughs> we hiss at any sort of attention. Right, <laughs> yeah. right. And also, yeah. you know, we're we're not, you know, I don't know, a Jack Horner. So, what can I say? Oh. oh. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean, do you prefer the solitude of the basement sometimes, or do you like, you know, the, the fishbowl, the fishbowl setup? That, um, you know, a lot of uh, museums like to kind of have, like, definitely. you know, where, where you, it, you're kind of like on on exhibit. I prefer being at the bottom of a pit with the curator occasionally throwing down the slops of their lunch and telling me to go faster. <laughs> I really, that's what I enjoy. Um, but no, uh, it, you know, it's, it's a very interesting question, right? Because, and, and lots of people have, have different opinions on this, so I do not speak at all for the preparator community at large. But mm-hmm. I personally don't mind the fishbowl experience because... Um, and, and for those who might not know, a lot of prep labs in newer museums now will have a big window in front of the lab where museum visitors can actually look in and watch us as we work. And mm. we are very much, very much zoo animals. Like, oh my God, it is astonishing. <laughs> it, it, it's the part that I have the most, que- well, not the most questions about, <laughs> but I have questions about with Jurassic Park where, sure. the, where like the intro ride thing like goes past a lab where people are actively working on hatching right. dinosaurs right that's just that that's just part of the exhibit that's a, yeah and, and i mean mm. and so, so the museum that i work at our lab is a part of the exhibit in fact we're, we're mm-hmm. seen as mostly an exhibit attraction uh but oh, um i think it's i think it's great because for the first time in a lot of visitors history they actually get to mm-hmm. see what these bones go through in order to then be put on display. Cause I feel like everybody has this idea in their head, of course, based on like Jurassic park, right. That you go out and you have a brush and you're brushing away sand. And suddenly there's a perfectly articulated velociraptor skeleton laying in the ground. And a a velociraptor mongoliensis in Montana. Yeah. And weirdly (laughs) enough, much, much larger in size than velociraptor ever got, but you know, (laughs) we won't talk about that. Um, but, and, and then, but then they, then it's like, okay, they understand the digging part. Yes. And then it just goes through this black box and then all of a sudden it's put on display. And I think a lot of people also don't fully appreciate the fact that only 1% of a museum's collections are ever out on display. Uh, 99% of them, of course, are in the collection space, usually in cabinets and, it is, I think it really enhances not only the viewer's experience, but also it shines a light on my job and therefore shows mm. why paying me is important um, mm. for visitors to see for themselves what they're doing. Now, that being said, I 
cannot even begin to tell you the wackadoo things people do in front of the window because some, they truly <laughs> believe we can't see them. Oh, so, no. Yeah. Oh. So I've had like, this is like, of course, pre-COVID, but I had a like a, a like three-year-old just licking the glass in front oh, of me. No. Oh, no. I've, I've had teenage boys like make lewd gestures at me. And I'm just like, ah. you're horrible. This is awful. So I like look at them and I just kind of slowly shake my head and just go no at them. And then they usually laugh and run away because I embarrass them. Um, my, my favorite one, of course, is I will be sitting and working on a fossil specimen for maybe, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes. And I'm using something called an air scribe, which is like a mini jackhammer. So I'm not really moving a whole bunch. It's just my hand kind of scratching Mm -hmm. at, at the, at the rock. And Mm -hmm. I'll look up and there will be some random dude who's been filming me for like the past 15 minutes. And I'm just like, what? What you doing there, bud? <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> but, huh? You know, okay. There's weird stuff that happens from the window. But that being said, for as many weird experiences as I have, I have tons of people that get really excited to see what we're doing. Yeah, um, right, right. Are, of course, you know, are reading out loud to their kids the little signs we have in front. Um, I am very lucky to be in a situation where I actually run the lab. So I'm in charge of all fossil preparation. So if I see a visitor that seems to be really enthusiastic or they have kids with them that seem really interested, especially if they're a little girl, mm-hmm. I like to ask them if they want to come back into the lab and I take them on a special behind the scenes tour. Um, and so something like that is so important. And I think it yeah. really helps to grow paleontology and keep it relevant in museums. So I'm a fan of the fishbowl lab. <laughs> Interesting. Even if it's weird, even if it's weird, right? Well, it's curious because like this is. Pro- I mean, I knew what it was, but I didn't know that was. I guess like the idea of calling it that. I've only ex- experienced that in one time, and it was in I think, oh gosh, some museum in Rome. I can't remember which one, but because there's so many. But like mm-hmm. they had the uh, they were working on some uh, conservation for different artifacts, and they had the labs open in a sense where they were like. It just you know the glass cubes of people working and they were just doing right. their own thing. Yeah. But I, I'm kind of I guess it's it's almost that question too of like do you think that that offers more of like a trans of transparency literally so, you know so to speak of like what's sure. actually going on and like do you think that that helps in a way or does it make it more like I guess in, in, tr- in me trying to articulate this this question I guess it's more of like <laughs> do you think that that has helped in terms of having that audience engagement within a museum. I think, I think it depends on how the museum goes about it, right? So you can sure, certainly sure. have somebody sitting in a glass cube in front of you working on a specimen or working on a piece of art. But if the audience has no idea what they're watching, yeah. they're not going to really take anything away from it. Exactly. So, right. so what a lot of museums are really struggling with, especially now, because they've had to downsize their staff for, for monetary reasons, right? Because mm-hmm. museums shut down, they don't make any money. Um, they've removed a lot of the interpretive staff on the floors. Those are Mm. the people that are going to be trained to talk about these skeletons to kind of help bridge the gap between somebody's basic, you know, bio 101 from high school knowledge (laughs) and actual like highfalutin paleontology or ecology or whatever. They're the ones that do the really good science communication. And so they are the ones that also then can see a visitor standing at the window and say, hey, this is what they're doing. Here's the context, whatever. Because often the number one question I will hear from people standing at the window is, uh, is um, are those real? Because so uh, many people mm. 
are used to seeing fake things on display that it doesn't occur to them that what they're looking at is actual fossil, is real dinosaur that's, bones, right? Right. Yeah. Huh, that's so interesting, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Huh. Well, there's there's the the whole is that real mentality. There's also the sort of I think um I, I'm I'm thinking of a memory in particular with my stepdad in a museum once mm-hmm. where, you know, I think uh there was a video playing of something as we were walking through and he's like, Well, how do they know that? <laughs> um, oh, I hear that all the time. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, bet- between that and people finding out that a lot of um skeletons that are, you know, mm-hmm. articulated and on display are casts. Right. You know, there is sort of like that kind of like maybe not distrust, but this feeling that they're not seeing the whole picture. Exactly. Not a lot right. of people see that process. They're being lied to somehow. Yeah. 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 They, 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 pay, they paid money to get in and they're looking at, you know, a cast of something. Right. And so, mm. I mean, I mean, just, just to kind of, you know, draw the curtain back a little bit for mm-hmm. listeners about why that is, right? Why, mm-hmm. why do, when you go to a museum, why do you not see a 100% skeleton that is made entirely out of bone on display? And, and to be perfectly honest, the answer is, is that it is near impossible to find a skeleton that is 100% complete. Um, mm-hmm. as, far, as far as I'm aware, we have never found a skeleton of a large dinosaur, right? Now, smaller animals, of course, is... is they're a little bit different. Now, Hillary, I saw I saw a man on TikTok <laughs> who said that we prob- dragons probably existed, oh and we've just never found the wings on a T Rex because we've never found a complete T Rex skeleton. See, I've seen that TikTok, and I absolutely my mind exploded because they finally figured us out. They he he he, he got to the core of what paleontologists have been trying to keep from you people this whole time. <laughs> Um, no, that's bullshit. Don't, don't even that. Oh my god! Oh my so god! So are you funny. telling me that I there aren't actually dragons out there somewhere, and it's not like How to Train Your Dragon? Joe, I'm not telling you anything. I'm just <laughs> telling you that dinosaurs, we do know what they look like, right, and right. they were not dragons. So, okay. but if right. you if that's what you need to sleep at night, then by all means, I won't take that dream from you. <laughs> you know, um, one of my. Uh, one of my uh, co-workers had never heard of a Komodo dragon before. <laughs> Wait, what? Really? Yeah, and we sh- uh, it was slow at work, so we pulled up a YouTube video of it, and she was absolutely blown away. And I was just yeah. like, I, it's like, I want to have a reaction to something like that now right. at this point in my life. I'm and just, so, just, just realizing, yeah. like, like, unicorns are real. Like, I can't begin to tell you how disappointed I was at, like, 18 uh-huh. that I found out that, that my unicorn book had been lying to me this entire time. Oh, it actually no. was just a white horse with a horn glued onto its forehead. Like I, like I was upset about that. Aww. But uh, but yeah. So so the, so one of the easiest ways to tell. Well, okay. I'll I'll get into how you tell if it's a cast or not in a minute. The reason why, uh, additionally, that something might not be complete and on display, why we mm. do use replica casts to replace those missing elements, is uh, uh, for two very common reasons. First and foremost, um, the material might not actually be there. And so they are borrowing other bits and pieces from another museum. Mm. And so, you know, for example, we have this sauropod skeleton on display at our museum, but, 
you know, the one museum has the hips and tails, one museum has the neck, and another museum has the rest of the torso. So what they do is they make exact copies. And that's the thing is that, yeah, it's not the real bone, but they are exact, scientifically accurate copies from the real fossils themselves that are then put on display so that you're not just looking at a single leg bone in the air. Like, like if, gotcha, if we only gotcha. put out the real material, there'd be a lot of very abstract art sort of aesthetic going on. With <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that would appeal to Joe and I for our like yeah. absurdist taste. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right. I would, you know, but yeah. And I mean, also there's something to be said about, you know, what it takes to mount these skeletons oh, when they yeah. get particularly large. Sure, I, yeah. You know, because, like, even look at the the Field Museum has Sue, you yes. know? Yes, But the mount is, the mount has a replica skull, I believe, for two reasons. One, so that you can be on the ground level and look at Sue's skull, mm-hmm. um, which is in a separate case. And then the other, because it's, it's a... It's a a chunk of rock that's yes. like the size of a person oh that my like God. you would have to like, you know, uh hoist up in the air and right. you know, j- just the armature of uh doing that I feel like would also remove a bit of the experience oh, it would, it of, tra- would be of trying impossible. to imagine it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And and I mean that's the thing I feel like a lot of folks when we talk about fossils right we we refer to them as bones because that's the easiest way to kind of differentiate them from anything else, but their structure is rock. They are not, at least stuff right. from, from millions and millions of years ago that have been in the ground long enough, they have permineralized fully into rock. So, mm-hmm. and don't don't hit mm-hmm. me with that, oh, but T-Rex ligament bullshit. I'm, I'm not interested. <laughs> I don't think it's a thing. But, but, they, but it is, so one vertebra, right, from, from an animal as large as a T-Rex is going to weigh more than an adult human being. And trying to get that up in the middle of the air so that it looks like the animal did when it was alive is near impossible. So that does lead me to one of the hints that I, that I can tell everybody how you can tell if it's real or not. The easiest way you can tell is look at the armature of the, of the skeleton. So the armature is all of those rods and wire and iron bars that if it is surrounding a bone and it's like cupping it almost, that's a real fossil. If you don't see the armature at all, it's completely disappeared or you see it kind of in going into the center of the bones themselves, then that's a replica. Because you can you can drill into a resin cast, right, and 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 keep all your structure internal, so you don't have all this wire everywhere. But you can't do that with real fossils. So so if you're ever wondering what's real or not, look at how it's mounted, and you can usually point pick out what's real in that skeleton and what isn't based on how it's mounted. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. There's sometimes also, um, you know. Like, say they found, like, part of a bone and want to show you the complete thing. There usually is some sort of color difference as well. Sure. Mm. Spot. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm, I, I, I appreciate you uh, articulating that so nicely for our audience. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, that there, that there sure. are reasons to this, that it's not just, you know, the museum right, trying right. To, to hide something Look, from you. If I can reduce the number of times I get asked, hey, are these things real? I will be a much happier person. Right, right. You're <laughs> right. just doing I mean, I that that actually kind of segues into another question that 
um, you must be asked uh, quite often. Uh-huh. And this, I think, brings us to a broader uh, question about museums in general and valuable objects being in the public trust. People must ask you, what's, what are these fossils worth? Mm. Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I love the fact that we are on hot-blooded political issues here on the podcast. <laughs> um, this is this is what I'm here for. I'm, I'm right. here to preach to the people. Um, so, so yes, I hear a lot. Uh, hey, you know, what is what is this worth? How much would this sell for? You know, will the museum buy this? Uh, we hear that a lot. And um, it's such a it's such a convoluted mess that a lot of people have very, very strong opinions on. So the folks that that buy and sell fossils, they are typically referred to as commercial paleontologists, right? They are there purely, at least in, in some of them, they're there purely for profit. They're not necessarily in it just for the science. Mm. And there absolutely have been academic paleontologists. So the people you would see at universities or in museums, they're, they have literally said that we should string up and hang all commercial paleontologists. And then, and then you have commercial paleontologists saying academic paleontologists are trying to, you know, sit up on their ivory towers and control everything and not letting the people actually get to see things. So it is very, very contentious on both sides. And right, yeah. it's something that uh, I, I think ultimately has been made worse, especially in the last couple of years uh, with the popularity of such things like Jurassic Park. And gotcha. oh man, I could mm. <laughs> I could do a whole hour long rant on, on the Jurassic Park, Jurassic World franchise. I have <laughs> oh, many opinions man. about those. But, that, that leads me to my next question. Sure. Jurassic Park 3, great movie or greatest movie? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was a terrible movie. You want to know why? No ceratopsians. Well, yes, obviously. But but the fact that the mother was able to scream into the forest in a mic in a megaphone and was not immediately picked off by the Spinosaurus and eaten, I think is one of the greatest travesties in Hollywood to date. So to be fair, the Spinosaurus does attack shortly after that. It would be kind of funny to like try and watch it now if like a really squat waddling uh, Spinosaurus uh, came out. Oh, Zan, no, no, no! Don't, don't say that. Not everyone agrees that Spinosaurus was was bipedal. Yeah. Let me tell you, I've watched many YouTube videos, especially from one uh-huh. YouTube, YouTube guy called Spinosaurus the King, where he literally Whoa. has forty five oh minute. God, <laughs> he has forty five minute lo- long um, YouTube videos about why the Jurassic Park spinosaurus is the only legitimate spinosaurus and everyone else is full of shit and they are incredible (laughs) you know i i believe i put this out there on twitter forever ago like during the very early days of the pandemic you know uh pre uncanny county museum of course of course um but in watching handmaid's tale it Mm. always it, it it you know, because Handmaid's Tale, you know, like the world, pretty Gilead takes over America in like 2015, right? Mm-hmm. You right. know, this, you have the super like authoritarian theocracy just 
completely absorbs uh, a democracy and, you know, there's all of this global crisis and everything. Yeah. But then if you watch Handmaid's Tale through, this is supposedly years after 2015, um, this one character escapes and is back with her son and her son is like reading a dinosaur book to her. And it even mentions the aquatic um, Spinosaurus thing. And it's just like, so wait, if the world ended in 2015, <laughs> they were who was who was still working on Spinosaurus? Right. Who was preaching That's... the good word of Spinosaurus being an aquatic therapy? Oh my then, god. But then it came full circle cuz then COVID hits, the world shuts down. It's the only thing we can think about. And then that <laughs> thing about Spinosaurus having like a paddle tail oh comes God. out. Oh my oh and, okay. being qua- and has and is quadrupedal. Okay, so so I wanna I wanna take you through a day in the life of Paleo Twitter, specifically on the day that that paper dropped, right? So I wake up and I'm just like, what a beautiful, glorious day. Let's check out what's going on on paleontology Twitter, which is normally a dumpster fire, but I, you know, I'm still part of it because whatever. And and there I, must, I there must be a voice of reason between you and Thomas Holtz. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Thomas Holtz is like is like the the good guy, and then there's so many bad guys. Also, mm. I think he's he's me from the future or a clone of me. Oh from yeah, the Thomas Thomas Holtz. If y'all don't know Thomas Holtz, go check him out on on, on social media. He's he's the best. Mm. But um uh so I wake up and I'm there and all of a sudden, lo and behold, exciting news. There's a brand new ceratopsian that has just been named, right? Stellasaurus. And it was this it was from I think it was from Wyoming and it was this guy's PhD that he finally got it published and how exciting for him. It's his first big paper and everyone's like retweeting it. How amazing. And then all of a sudden, what's this? Another incredible paper, a big like badger like mammal from Madagascar in late, in the late Cretaceous of Madagascar. And oh my goodness, it's so much larger than what we expect mammals to be. And it's super weird looking and how interesting it just changes our whole scope on what Madagascar looks like. And then, like, freaking Thanos snapping and just everything else disappears. <laughs> Nat Geo drops the Spinosaurus paper. And it was like <sighs> a bomb went off. And that was like all these artists were suddenly drawing it. And you had this paleo people going, <laughs> oh, my God, this is the only thing I ever wanted in my life. And then you had another side of paleo Twitter that was just like, this is such bullshit. There's no fucking way that this guy knows what he's talking about. Like the author of it, Nizar Ibrahim, is very, I would say he's very divisive as well, whether mm. you agree with him or not. And there was so much so much drama over this mm-hmm. one paper that it completely wiped away these two other very big, very significant papers being happened because it yeah. was a it was a goddamn Spinosaurus. They got they got ferrofaceted. They, I mean, they really did. Hi there, my name is Colby White, and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts, a podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. 
So yeah, that was just it's three papers in one day. I literally did no work. Jesus. I was just refreshing Twitter because it was a madhouse the That's entire insane. day. Yeah. 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 Incredible. Wow. I yeah. yeah. So 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 what you're saying is paleontologists are a, a little a little clicky, a little uh <laughs> what? <laughs> this is, um but I mean this is this adds a whole other dimension to it that um, to to all of the paleo drama as well, mm-hmm. uh, and I I do I do want to get into that as well, but sure. uh, I I'm hoping we can also uh, circle back for just a second to um, the 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 value of these fossils because definitely definitely this right, is right. this isn't even the first time that Joe and I have talked about a fossil being discovered that or a paper coming out that mm-hmm. makes a big. A controversial splash and maybe even overstates its own importance. Oh, right, yeah. right. Oh, yeah. Um the one of the uh previous times we've had a guest on, we actually had Colby White, who um uh Hillary also knows uh, from <laughs> our uh Montana adventure. I taught him everything he knows about paleontology. <laughs> yes. And we were talking about though. um uh Terex. Um Yeah. And the, you know, the the enormous media fiasco around that, which a fossil that ended up that turned out to be a hoax. Yes. Um, hmm. And again, National Geographic is involved. Um, <laughs> but they uh, should know better. Yeah, but they're not. Bur- they've been burned before. Oh, yeah. It's, su- it's such a bummer because it's like it's otherwise it's not like it's the worst uh, pop science publication out there, but they keep no. getting. They, yeah, but but this this is an issue that we keep kind of running into is this sensationalism um, around a lot of these fossils, I imagine, drives people's speculation that these must be worth something because anytime there's a splash in the news about yes. like, um, actually, I'm thinking of uh, a headline that I think Thomas Holtz was talking about once uh which was a uh, new dinosaur has more teeth than T-Rex, which is, yes. if you know anything about <laughs> theropods is a ridiculous statement because T-Rex doesn't have very many teeth. It, it has really big teeth. There's yes, not but room not that for many. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so, yeah. so does, do you see when, even when something like this drops, like do right. you see an immediate after effect in the museum, like with the visitors? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Especially if it's something surrounding T-Rex. And I have so many opinions over T-Rex. I just fucking hate that dinosaur. Um, <laughs> I do. I do. And, and, I'll, and I'll get into it in a minute because, because the reason we're even talking this much about commercial paleontology and how much are things worth, I can tie directly to T-Rex, like 100%. Oh, interesting. But but I will certainly, I mean, again, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Where it, it absolutely causes a media stir and then therefore museums react and they want to highlight or spotlight this one thing that's getting a big stir. And so you go into any museum and even if their scientific staff doesn't work <laughs> on the Hell Creek, you will still have multiple T-Rex skeletons on display. Because that's what people want to know about, right? And that, that right. And, and every and we actually in the paleontology realm, we have this running joke about how everything 
in like the media, especially titles of, of like stories always have to have to have something to do with T-Rex, even if the animal they're talking about has no connection to T-Rex. So one of my favorite ones I saw was like her, her, her herbivorous cousin of T-Rex new discovery or something like what? that. And it was, it was talking about a small little plant eating dinosaur from South America that was 120 million years earlier than T-Rex and wasn't even, <laughs> wasn't oh. even like at all distinctly related to this thing. But, but, but scientific communicators have figured out. And, and to be fair, I get why um, that if they mention something about T-Rex, you're going to get clicks because everybody yeah. and their grandchildren knows about T-Rex. Uh-huh. And yeah, so fair. I mean, I mean, again, like, like Joe. Let's be honest here. Which dinosaur do you know most about? Well, I know that there's T. Rex and there's Triceratops, <laughs> yeah. and there's, okay. well, I don't even want to say the last one because I just found out that it's not technically the dinosaur. <laughs> so I'm gonna watch myself. I'm learning. It's uh, the pterodactyl for all you non-paleo people out there. Like Hillary, me. take the shot. Take the shot. <laughs> quick, I just quick. said. Wait, I, I defended myself. I said it wasn't. I caught Joe, it. Joe, there's a red dot on your head. <laughs> all the way all the way from texas oh my god (laughs) but it's but it's so it is interesting though like because i could see that like yeah like you know Mm -hmm. if you're if you don't know about this or you're not really as invested in paleontology let's say it's like because of jurassic park because of pop you know culture in general and media and and movies Mm -hmm. you know what a t-rex is it's become so i guess oh yeah you know it's it's, the poster child it's more identifiable than jesus I mean, I mean, and and I, I say that yeah. with a bit of a joke, but I actually saw a video of of people showing images to kids, and every mm-hmm. single one of them knew what a T Rex was. Right. And I, and again, that's yeah. incredible because it because it stokes the interest in paleontology, it keeps us relevant, keeps me with a job, which I really, really appreciate. <laughs> but right, but again, right. to, to kind of tie it back into commercial paleontology and the value of these fossils, right? So so you've always had paleo media especially in hollywood right it has had their standard kind of dinosaurs that have always been shown t-rex stegosaurus mm-hmm. triceratops even from as far back as as journey to the center of the earth you had yeah. iguanas with with sails you know on their backs right, <laughs> right so, right. so mm-hmm. dinosaurs mm-hmm. have always been a big part of especially american culture but what's really um what really changed the game was Jurassic Park, right? And so mm. Jurassic Park was, at the time, one of the most successful films and was the first real time that dinosaurs were shown as intelligent, fast-moving, scary, but also, you know, not just tail-dragging lizards. Right. And that's what a lot of people grew up with. Now, I will point out that I'm one of the very rare paleontologists that I actually didn't see Jurassic Park until I was much older. So I, I mean, was Yeah. I was yeah, not yeah. at all inspired by Jurassic Park. <laughs> fair enough, I, fair I'm, enough. But from the sound of it, I think that's for the best. <laughs> yes, exactly. My I mean, but I grew up with especially I'd say in the early media or early excuse me, the early nineties, we had this almost dinosaur renaissance of paleo media where we had not only Jurassic Park but we had Dinotopia the books yeah. and and the artwork and the TV mm-hmm. show which 
which that was that was what I grew up on, right? That's what got right. me excited. Right. We had, of course, the Land Before Time film yeah. franchise, which Steven Spielberg also was a part of. Um, mm-hmm. We we of course had the Walking with Dinosaurs, and then it, we are back. A dinosaur story, Theodore Rex. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who but could if you look, if you look at every single one of those pieces of media, they always have the same cast of characters in them. I would say, except for Dinotopia, I say that's the only uh, uh, James Kearney yeah. is a god, so he's incredible. Yeah, but yeah, and that and I think Disney's Dinosaur that was later, but right, I, right. I, and and this is again a thing that we've talked about, but I have to give that one props for like. Hey, we're gonna have a bunch of like um, B-side dinosaurs. We're gonna have Iguanodon and Styracosaurus. Wonderful. And and, and the baddie isn't even a T-Rex; it's a Carnotaurus. Carnotaurus, exactly. But but again, it still falls into big meat-eating theropod, bad, gentle herbivore. Oh yeah, no, I know. It's the exact same plot (laughs) as Land Before Time, almost. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I will, yeah. I will just say, by the way, since we're on the topic of, of dinosaur, so one of my paleo art friends recently did a redrawing of the dinosaur characters, but more um, scientifically accurate, and it was really, really neat. And he had commenting on one of his posts on Aladar, uh, a <laughs> Aladar role-playing uh, Instagram account. Oh, my oh. God. And started, <laughs> and started talking to the artist as if he was Aladar and was, oh, like, wow. you know, super duper into it. And so I, I saw this, thought it was hilarious, and so I decided to make a cron role-playing <laughs> And I started responding to the artist like I was cron. And the Aladar role-playing page followed me and then started direct messaging me as Aladar and, like, sending me all these gifts from the movie. It was like, brother, why do you betray me, brother? And I'm just like, bruh, I've seen the movie once, like, 15 years ago. <laughs> like, I was just like, trolling my friend. Yeah. Right, like, this is I a mean, bit. But but, appar- but apparently, like, if we search the tags uh, RP Mpreg Aladar, <laughs> right, uh, we, right. Can find, we can find Hillary. Yes, yes. And, oh, and, God. And they, the, the tag, and I promise you, I only have two posts, and there's a reason for it. It's Kron <laughs> rules with a Z. Uh, that's that's the extent of it. So I Amazing. expect tons of followers uh, right. on that account. But anyway, so so yes. But okay, so so I, I do the wanna the wanna just you know not talk about <laughs> dinosaur role playing Instagram uh, page. <laughs> Believe yes. it or not. Um, so okay, what also adds into this, right, is you had the popularity and the just height of the Jurassic Park era and all these things that came after it that were inspired by the Jurassic Park film franchise, and then you also then had the sale of Sue. So, yes. so Sue, of course, like we've mentioned, the Field Museum owns, but Sue at the time that it was found, which was I believe 1995 to 1997, was the most complete T Rex ever found at that at that point. And um, it was found by this guy named Pete Larson, who is, in all intents and purposes, a commercial paleontologist. That's what he does. Uh, He runs this thing called the Black Hills Institute, which is in the Black Hills of South Dakota in Hill City. Sounds official and academic. I know, Zan, you and I have been there. And there, there is a museum, and I say that with quotations around it, where he displays a lot of the fossils that he, he has. But his main source of income comes from selling fossils, but also selling cast skeletons to private collectors and, and smaller museums, right? So he is a commercial paleontologist. 
Well, at the time, he found he found Sue's skeleton, dug it out of the ground, and was like, okay, I'm going to put... He paid the landowner, this rancher, about $10,000, and was like, great, I'm going to put this together. It's going to be worth a lot of money because, again, we're still talking the height of the Jurassic Park fame. So everybody wanted a T-Rex. T-Rex was pretty, pretty exciting, and this was the most complete one. Well... Then the federal government got involved because turns out where Pete Larson collected this T-Rex from and the landowner was technically tribal land. And the landowner who was part of the tribe, yep, did not actually ask for permission to sell the T-Rex to Pete. And so therefore the federal government came in and took took Sue away from him because he, he collected it illegally and he went to prison for three years. He oh my God. Felon. Yes. So in the meantime, the original guy who then is the rightful owner, who, who is part of the tribe, part of the landowner, it's returned to him because the, the check that he was given by Pete was null and void at that point. He then realizes, Oh crap. Pete didn't tell me how important this specimen was, so I'm going to sell this. And because it was the first time anything like this had been auctioned off, it sold for $8 million. Oh, wow. At the time, it was the largest amount of money paid to a for a skeleton, especially for any type of dinosaur, right? And it caused this massive splash, not only because of the T-Rex and the auction, but because of its notoriety of being discovered. Mm-hmm. And depending on how you look at it, pe- some people believe that Pete was completely innocent, that he did all that he could do, and that he... You know, was in it for the science. He's, yeah, it, especially for some didn't know any private, better. Yeah, for some <laughs> private paleontologist, uh, you know, or sorry, commercial paleontologist. Mm-hmm. Um, he is kind of a folk hero in some circles. Oh yes, absolutely. Um, there's a there's a paleontologist who I met in when I was in middle school that really, really inspired me. Um, he was, you know, he, he's, uh, you know, better known in kind of the Tampa Bay area. His name's Frank Garcia. Mm -hmm. Um, he's, uh, you know, he's done some legitimate work. I know he's, um, worked for the Smithsonian for a bit. He's named some species, but mainly he digs up and sells fossils he has on his ranch in Nebraska. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, to hear him talk, he is, you know, totally on Pete Larson's side in all of this. It's For sure. Big, it's the big bad government, you know, coming to tell them what they can yep. and can't do. It's, you know, uh, those those paleontologists in their mammoth ivory towers. Uh, <laughs> exactly. And, <laughs> um, and yeah, look, yeah, looking down on him because, you know, he... He's all self-taught. He doesn't have um, right. Frank Frank Garcia does not have a a degree. I think past a high school diploma, and to him, um, it's he he's dealing with a, a whole other level of elitism around other paleontologists. Mm. So he's you know pretty sequestered out of the academic circle, and also oh, for it's sure, just, it, it's just part of how he makes his living. So someone like Pete Larson puts out like the very sympathetic documentary Dinosaur 13. <laughs> it he's, is very sympathetic. I will just yeah, say that much. <laughs> he's, 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 uh, he, he's a, he's a folk hero to some people yes. for, for this reason. 
but I don't think people pay enough attention to what is on the record as what happened. I think I, and I, and I mean, I, I personally don't have an opinion on it. And, and I will just say as a disclaimer, Pete has been incredibly kind to me in my career. He has always, he has always taken the time to chat with me. I've now visited the Black Hills Institute a couple different times and he's always, you know, offered a tour. Uh, our most recent trip, we were there. He took us back into his lab. So I have, I have nothing against him personally. That being said, um, the argument that I have heard a lot of times about Sue and one that I kind of agree with is that this was not like Pete was working in a state that he's never been to before. This mm-hmm. was practically his backyard. And he already at that point had had dozens of years of experience working out in this area. And when you are working in these same territories, you absolutely become comfortable with where the tribal boundaries are and where the ranch land boundaries are. And you create a connection with the people there that the whole, the whole argument of, Oh, well, Pete didn't know any better. He didn't realize he was on this guy. He was on tribal land when they found Sue. It doesn't really hold a lot of water when you start examining the history of, of what he would have been doing there and additionally, mm. even even by the mid '90s, anybody doing field work would still have access to a GPS unit, and mm-hmm. and would absolutely kind of know where they were in context of everything else. And I, I know personally yeah. any field work that I've ever done with different institutions, especially in places like New Mexico, where there is a lot of um, uh, tribal lands, especially Navajo reservation lands, uh, we are super duper duper careful about where are we collecting from? And we only ever collect from places that we have permission to be on. Um, at one time, my, my mentor, what we were out working in New Mexico and he saw, you know, a, a skull from, from an animal and checked his GPS. And unfortunately it was on tribal land and he just, you know, said, well, that sucks. And then, and then moved on, you know? So, Mm, so it's kind of those things of like, was Pete completely innocent I don't think so. Was he maybe right. made to be a scapegoat? Yeah, probably. But just you know, kind of getting into yeah. commercial paleo stuff. Like again, there's there people want to paint commercial paleontologists as villains all the time, and there yeah. and there absolutely are. There is another guy in Canada who is literally smuggling Burgess shale, so like mm-hmm. bef- like beginning of life aged fossils out of Ontario to sell them in Europe and he was illegally Whoa. smuggling them. Right. So it's like, yeah. you no, know, that's bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, there, there's unfortunately a lot of instances of that. And, you know, it's also, there, there's, there's a little bit of that kind of, um, you know, theft of, uh, you know, uh, what, what should be national heritage type of stuff. I, right. I mean, even la- last year there was, um, there was there was some little dinosaur that made quite a stir, and then they found out that the fossil had been smuggled out of Belize. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, there's the the Proteryx um, fiasco that we were talking about before. Uh, you know, smuggled out of China. Nick, and Nick he, Cage got Nick, it. I was I was I was I was about to I, literally the next thing I was going to say was take Nick it Cage's, away, man. Uh, <laughs> whole fiasco back back before Nick Cage had to say yes to every movie role when he still had money. Um, you know, I mean, he even dipped into that, and it kind of like makes sense that rich people would want to 
um, invest in these fossils if there is one the, the prestige of owning it, but also the 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 speculator market of it. And you know right, that right. that uh, I believe that skull turned out to be stolen as well from Mongolia. Yep, was, uh, and a it, lot it, it of was fossils not, are stolen. Yeah, from yeah, it was it was a, it, it was a, it wasn't a Tyrannosaurus Rex, but it was a Tyrannosaur. Okay, um, Tar- wasn't it Tarbosaurus? But Tar- I don't remember. I think it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So the it it's it, it's fraught in a lot of ways like in sort of the same way that we sort of have concerns when um artworks done by very important artists go up for auction they go into private collections and you know we'll probably never see them again for a generation maybe more um it's yeah uh, it, it you know when when this stuff moves into private hands it's not necessarily going to people who will allow it to be studied or are yes. going to keep it in a condition where it can be studied. There's, um, there was even, uh, that, that article about the, uh, like Italian millionaire that purchased a Mosasaur skull. Right. He was so proud of it. And he's talking about how it's been his life's dream to own a dinosaur skull. And the article very snarkily remarks, it should be noted. Mosasaurus is not a dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, okay. So, so, so th- this is how I kind of take at it, and, and this is one I've actually learned from from my my very good friend, uh, a gentleman named Anthony Maltese, who is a commercial paleontologist. But he, he, I would say, he's one of the ones that tries very, very hard in everything that he does in, in his career to bring scientifically important specimens to the scientists, if not the actual specimen themselves, but try and make casts and stuff available. They're absolute. I have no issue <laughs> with people yeah. buying Spinosaurus teeth or a Triceratops horn or a Mosasaur jaw because those are animals that we have hundreds and hundreds of specimens from. Yeah, we we have people. There, of course, can be more research done. I'm not saying that all the science is done, but the big questions are kind of answered, right? So that sort of stuff, I don't have an issue. Yeah. With. What I have an issue with is is like stuff coming out of China, right? Where these mm-hmm. may be new species of dinosaur that is literally going to be the key to tell us how flight evolved or or what was the first bird, you know, that evolved in the Jurassic. All of that material is coming out from Asia and that stuff then is being put up for auction as being and is disappearing into private collections that then removes it from the scientific ability for us to research it and study it. And so and so, again, it's a bit of a gray area of where everyone's just like, well, you should never buy fossils. And as a paleontologist, I'm telling you, if you were in a rock shop and you see a, a theropod tooth and you want to buy it. Go for it. We have a million Nydia, of those. Nydia, go for it. Go it's... for it. If it's a stupid fucking fish, I don't give a shit. Go for it. <laughs> Even I'm if so... it's a new species, go for I... it. <laughs> oh god. I was I was thinking about this the other day because like Zyphactinus, a, oh. a... <laughs> I hate um, that fish. If you, if... <laughs> if you don't know what Zyphactinus is, Google it right now. It's actually kind of a cool looking fish, but they are so common yes. that, you know, it's another one of those things where this is an enormous, crazy looking predatory fish, but oh, God. there's so many of them. I know. Yeah, are you wild. looking at right now? Yeah, I don't know what it was, so I pulled it up on my phone. Jesus. <laughs> it's it's ba- basically imagine a barracuda 
the size of a school bus, and that but also there's there's nothing museums don't need more zyphactus <laughs> no right, please right. don't they, don't they bring us capacity. your zyphactus <laughs> it's kind of like having like a squire guitar you can have it do whatever the hell you want to it no one who takes <laughs> guitar seriously will care right. if you like mod the hell out of a squire stratocaster right you know? right, right like it's 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 kind of like like that you know no, nobody cares what happens to Model A's. You know, it's right. the Model T. It, you know that that people are right. interested if in. If I, if I may, too, because this is like very not. I don't. I guess it's new, but also it's just something I never really. I don't know enough a lot about this topic, and I'm really curious. Uh-huh. And it's so sure. interesting yeah, yeah. hearing you both discuss this too. And I mean, like, I don't. I guess the way I see it, and this is gonna be. I hope I'm not dumbing this down or anything, but like. You know, if anybody's played Animal Crossing, especially the most recent one, sorry, too dumb for me. I'm yeah. sorry, I have to leave. Yeah, I gotta go. Well, <laughs> well, the way I see it, the way I see it, is like when you have when you're giving Blathers a fossil to put in the collection to build, and then it's like yes. you know they eventually have too much. It's like, oh no, we already have that. Go yeah. ahead, and then you can sell it to get some coins. Is it kind of mm-hmm. like that in a sense? Of I what mean, we're I mean, at? again. About specific stuff that we know a lot about, yes, absolutely. Right, right. What, what I would what I would always encourage people to do first is if you find something, you know, say you're a Montana rancher and you come across something that looks interesting on your land, mm. contact a museum first and send them pictures. Ah, it, I'm okay. just I'm not, but I'm I'm gonna say that with a caveat. If you think you found a dinosaur egg in your gravel of your driveway, <laughs> I'm telling you right now, you've not found a dinosaur egg, Jim. <laughs> take it and leave. It's just a fucking rock. So it's not a dinosaur egg. It's never it's never a fucking. Dinosaur I found egg. a dinosaur brain. No, yes. Oh my god, I have so many stories about the crazy shit that people find in their driveway. Um, my favorite one huh. was a petrified finger that had flash frozen in the ice age. Oh my god! Yes, and it Jeez. was a piece of rolled river rolled quartz that just <laughs> happened to have a little cut, uh, like a little um, crack in it that kind of looked like a fingernail if you like squinted right, at right. it. Right, right. But the guy that found it was convinced that it was an ice aged man's finger that had flash frozen in the ice age. And I'm just like, sir, there've been eight ice ages, and that's not how it works but okay so i do like i like his i like his envisioning of the ice age that it just like like it just happened (laughs) it just happened exactly (laughs) i I will also say and 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 my other paleo people can agree with me if you see somebody approaching you in the window of the prep lab with a with a velvet bag usually and and bonus points if it's a crown royal velvet bag (laughs) and it's like holding it up and like pointing and shaking their head at you you know you are in for the most buck wild explanation (laughs) of what this thing is like oh oh my my god God. it's insane the velvet bag is is a giveaway almost instantly so oh gosh that's but but yeah so so joe so joe i mean it it can be kind of like that but but the other thing to keep in mind is that it isn't also the fossil itself that ultimately has the consequences of it disappearing it Mm. also lends value to then dinosaur fossils as a whole and that is very problematic so 
you know, I mentioned with Sue going up for auction for $8 million. That was a big, big deal for the Field Museum. They had McDonald's actually signed a contract with them in order to help pay for oh this. My God. Oh, like wow. it was, okay. I don't want people to think that museums have $8 million lying around. We don't. So stop trying to make us buy your shitty ass dinosaur fossils. Um, <laughs> but what did big happen. Big paleo. <laughs> big paleo. It's, yes. What did happen is. Last, I think it was last year. God, time has no meaning. Um, uh, last yeah. year, uh, another T Rex skeleton went up for auction, and funnily okay. enough, it was another one from Pete Larson from the Black Hills Institute. And this time, it was Stan the T Rex, and it was even more complete than Sue had been, and it was in better shape. It wasn't quite as mashed up in the fossilization process, and Stan has had so many replica skeletons made of it that it's in almost literally almost every museum in the world. If you see a T-Rex wow. skeleton, it, you, it is more likely that that's going to be a cast of Stan than any other uh, T-Rex that's been discovered. Um, so this, it was it, it, a lot of information about it. It had been the crown jewel for many, many years. And Pete Larson and his brother got into a bit of a family squabble that they actually ended up deciding his brother would leave the company. And so the judge ordered the sale of Stan in order to then buy out his brother, his, his, his part of, of the, of the Black Hills Institute uh, uh, company. Hmm. So this thing went up on auction in, Oh, what's, what's the auction call that usually has the fine art. Oh, it was, um, what was it? Was it Sotheby's or was it um, art, um the other one? Uh... It might have been Sotheby's. Okay. But it, anyway, yeah. it was it, mm. it was really funny because this thing. So so the skeleton got put on auction and it was the last auction of the night. And so I actually went on. They were live streaming the uh, the auction on YouTube. <laughs> wow. So I actually I actually hopped on an hour beforehand, and it's it's all of these fine art paintings like Degas and Monet's and all the all these big night you know painters and so everybody in the live stream of the YouTube chat were all like fine art weenies and we're like oh my god <laughs> I can't believe that that so and so from 1914 only went for five million dollars that's insane. and I'm sitting here going what is this world like this is yeah. insane <laughs> yeah it's well, yeah, it's, I mean, I, I guess you're, you're tuning into something like that and you're hoping that it's going to be like the auction from uh, Jurassic World Part 2 where there's like a bunch of like Russian oligarchs and warmongers yes. like bidding yes. on dinosaurs for some reason. Well, what, what was really, so what was really funny is like almost like the Ride of the Valkyries started playing like 15 minutes before yeah. the, before Stan went on auction and all of these paleo nerds started flooding the chat and all these <laughs> fine art nerds were like wait what is happening a dinosaur skeleton what is this and so I actually was in chat kind of telling him about what was going on and about this dinosaur yeah, yeah, yeah. and whatever so I was Hillary the paleontologist in, in that chat which was kind always, of fun always. so it was, it was a very interesting mixing of the fine art world and the paleontological yeah. world oh, yeah. it no, was incredible when you, get, when you get overlap of nerds that know nothing about the other person's <laughs> stuff it's kind yeah. of hilarious yeah there's all this stuff that means so much to them and right. a bunch of indifferent people don't Exactly. Yeah. So 
so then so then it goes up for auction and and people had kind of expected it to hit around sue right so maybe six to eight million okay whatever everyone was so upset here was this beautiful t-rex skeleton that was part of my childhood and now it's going into somebody's private collection and meanwhile i'm sitting here cackling because fuck t-rex at this point so (laughs) i was like i was like let it go it's already just like it's done right right it went for 34 million oh my god jesus 34 million dollars right so so all of a sudden this one skeleton is gone but in addition everybody who potentially has land that you might find a t-rex on suddenly was like wait a second i can sell these for potentially millions of dollars and that had almost an immediate impact on researchers ability to Mm. access that land i see so so for yeah for for, for maybe you know especially for those who might not know and and joe (laughs) when you're working on somebody's land if you're working on federal land as a museum, you have to get a permit from the federal government. But if you're a repository for the federal government, it's usually pretty easy. And then anything that you find, you tell the government, hey, I found I found this, 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 and this. And so they say, great, take care of it. And then it goes into the museum's collections. Right. So a lot, a lot of places like Colorado and Utah and Wyoming and Montana, well, not so much Montana, but, you know, kind of the Western states that have a lot of BLM land and federal federal, you know, like state land and whatever, a lot of paleontology can happen on it. And you kind of avoid the ownership question. But if you are an institution that works on rocks that unfortunately are often on private land. So for example, the Hell Creek is a good example of this where some of the best Hell Creek outcropping. So the Hell Creek is T-Rex, Triceratops, Edmosaurus, all the really big famous Jurassic Park ones, right? It's it's also significant because it's a very, very young layer of rock to have dinosaurs in it. You can be digging in the Hell Creek um, and you can see the KT boundary. The KPG. KPG. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Hillary. That's all I'm here for, Sam. You can see the line in the rock where the dinosaurs die, basically. Yeah, um, you can. You and, can. And yes. Yeah. Th- there, there was like, there's even one place that I was lucky enough to, you know, tag along uh, to called Valley the Last Dinosaurs, and like you're walking around and you're seeing dinosaurs that you know lived like these were in geological terms, like these were some of the last dinosaurs to live. You right. Know, in, in a few thousand years above them in the rock layer is the KPG is that, um, that black, yeah, that coal seam. Right. And that's, that's where the, that's where the asteroid impact and any non avian dinosaurs went extinct at that point. Right. And anything above the KPG is all, is all mammals. So, so yeah, the Hell Creek is pretty significant in the fact that you get a snapshot of what life was like in Montana and South North and South Dakota, right at the end of the dinosaurs. And, and similarly here in Texas, we have, all private land in Texas. So you as an institution, you have to approach the landowner, you have to create a relationship with the landowner to get permission to be on their land, but technically any fossils that you find on their land belongs to them. And so in, in, in the best case, you create a relationship with the landowner, they support the science, and they pretty much just say, whatever you find is yours, go for it. 
And, and for a lot of people, especially folks working in North and South Dakota and in Montana and Wyoming, that has been what it's been like for so long because these ranchers knew they could get some money for them, but they didn't realize there was potentially millions of dollars on the table. And right, so, yeah. and so after the sale of Stan, uh, people were finding it much more challenging to get access to land they there was a new part of the agreement where they had to uh uh the landowner could claim anything at any point with whatever they found they wanted to know everything that was coming off and if it was potentially a t-rex they had to notify the landowner mm -hmm. um uh paleontologists that were leasing uh land in the hell creek from ranchers because because it couldn't be grazed so these ranchers were just leasing it for a pittance to these researchers all of a sudden saw mm. their lease agreements and at least prices increased by 500 percent because fossils suddenly became a commodity and before anyone goes out and goes oh my god why are they, why are these ranchers so greedy and money grubbing ranch i don't think how people realize how tough it is to be a rancher especially mm. with how bad climate change has gotten, how bad the fire and the drought seasons have gotten. But a lot of these people are literally one bad year away from being bankrupt. The bank yeah, owns yeah. the bank owns their equipment. The bank owns their land, their house mm -hmm. that they live in has, has been in their family for generations. They work so, so hard. And so I definitely can empathize with if you are potentially going to find a T-Rex on your land and get $34 million for it, that means your family and your children and your grandchildren are going to be set for the rest of their mm, lives. Right. So right. It's, it, it's not it, their it's fault. Not, and it's not like they haven't been burnt by certain paleontologists before. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, there are there's stories, you know, um, about certain paleontologists from certain museums, like going on to people's land, leaving the landowners completely out of the process, even if they were just curious about what was going on. Exactly. And then, and then taking just taking the fossils. Um, you know, and, and it, especially especially yeah. taking the fossils away from that part of the state so for yeah. so you know th there is a lot of um kind of bad blood yeah. on the eastern part of montana because the western museums would come over to the eastern part of montana dig up their fossils all the time not like zan was saying not really tell them and yeah. then take that take it back over to the big city and these local people would never get to see what they had and most of the time it wasn't a monetary mm, need it was right. just pride how, how, cool. is, how is how is there. how is it that we're talking about paleontology and we're back to talking about the um the west exploiting the east <laughs> <laughs> this is I an mean, art this is an art school yeah. I know. Yeah, <laughs> or, exactly. or or history yeah <laughs> so uh i mean well because you know this this is an interesting intersection of a lot of different things because yes mm -hmm. they're yeah. not they're not because in 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 the in the um, in the best philosophy of a museum, it's not that any one person owns this; it's that we all own it. That's the yes. that's the the right. concept. Of, we we uh, are the, the care the, caretakers. The yes, we are the caretakers for the American people. Yes, yes, and that is what we want. Um, and but like you also said, a lot of stuff that is uh in museums is not on display. Right. Uh, 
you're not really going to have access to a lot of it or know that you have access to it unless you are doing research on said thing. Well, I will, I will, I will say this. I think, I yeah. think a lot of people, of course, they assume that they yeah. have to be a researcher or a highfalutin mm-hmm. scientist to access most museum collections. The mm-hmm. reality is, is again, the museums are there for the people of this country. Yeah. And so if you have a legitimate reason, even if it's just, hey, my grandfather found this thing and now it's at the museum, could I potentially see it? I would honestly think that the majority of museums, at least I know all the ones that I've worked in, and I've worked in quite a few in my career, mm-hmm. would, hap- would happily open up their doors and show you what they have. The issue mm-hmm. is just a matter of, again, we still are caretakers. So we can't just yes. have anybody off the street come in and say, I want to see your dinosaur bones. Because yeah. ultimately, at the end of the day, these things are incredibly rare. They're incredibly valuable. And again, as we've been saying, their value monetarily is is increasing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so right. um, there's actually one of my favorite books of all time. And this is going to sound like a total like non sequitur, but I promise there's a point mm-hmm. is is called The Feather Thief. And mm-hmm. it, it is this book that talks about the history of feathers, how humans have interacted. But essential part of its theme is this crime that occurred where this young man broke into a British his, British Natural History Museum and stole a whole bunch of Birds of Paradise study skins mm-hmm. from the museum in order to sell their feathers to fly fishing aficionados, fly tires. Oh my god. Yeah, it's an incredible book. I, I so recommend it. Everyone that's ever read it has enjoyed it. But but that's the sort of situation that that if people were fully aware of the value of a museum's collection, we don't look at it as we don't look at it in the space of, okay, well, this is worth eight million dollars. Mm-hmm. We look at right. it as, well, these this is a one in it, one of a kind, blah, blah, blah. And if it's right. gone, it's it's gone forever. We are the yeah. stewards of that. But if you are an artist, if you are a novelist, if you are, you know, somebody who could really benefit from learning about the stuff in the collections, most of the time, if you contact the museum and just say, hey, I have a reason and here's Mm -hmm. it, they will let you in and let you come see their collection. Yeah. I mean, I've had that happen. I've been in in museum collections and the archives in a few. I mean, it was more in in Europe specifically, but Mm -hmm. for that legitimate reason of just like our professor are saying they had a class and we were working with archives if we can go in and they just yeah they let you and it was fine i mean there's rules yeah that's fine that's that's not to say that there's not ways to do that but i think at least the perception of it is that yeah totally that there's there is some kind of uh gatekeeping that there is like some idea that uh, academia does not. Right, academia right. gets to look at these things, and you, right. the regular person, do not. There, there is, there's that perception at least. Oh yeah, and, sure. and, it, and it's not an. Un, it is certainly not an unfair perception, and and I will be the first to say that some of the most egotistical narcissists are paleontologists. <laughs> um, they this world, especially in dinosaur paleontology, has some of the biggest egos mm. from researchers and museum curators that I've ever seen in any of the sciences. And so there very much is, is a reason why commercial paleontologists, especially view academics as these ivory tower 
you know, gatekeepers because a lot of them have been, you know, there, right, there right. was, there, there was a, a curator in Montana, <coughs> Jack Horner, <coughs> who, <laughs> who literally, <laughs> what? There must, my dogs must have coughed. Um, who literally, <laughs> who literally kept other research institutions out of Montana and giving Jesus. them a permit because he wanted full control over everything that was found in Montana, you know, wow, and that, and that's yeah. really, really unfortunate. And, and so you just, you get people in positions right. of power and, and they just kind of go a little bit crazy with it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like it's, it's, it's just interesting in, in hearing all of this too. And, and, and I also think the nuance to the conversation that it's really not, it's I don't I guess it's not it's you know it's not as black and white as it seems but I also think that it's interesting in this in this conversation of value right like there's a value right. as a the monetary value of how much it's worth like in terms of money and in terms of how much can I get for this and and it's only you know the hype surrounding the you know T-Rex skeleton let's say I'll just use that as the example versus the scientific value that then benefits everyone and, and one of the things and maybe I'm making a big you know, comparison, but I almost think of all the memes that come out on the Library of Alexandria and how much that everybody wants to go back to save all of that information. (laughs) And I relate to that so hard because I know for a fact if I had a time machine, that's exactly what I would do. But I, (laughs) but but I almost... That's, that's, that's like maybe the lens that like would be more helpful to project of putting museums on the level of exactly more like libraries yeah i mean that's how i'm trying to think about it and i think maybe that is a good way because because it's like we can't you know it's like you're saying too um hillary you know that Mm -hmm. yeah there are people who are very much narcissistic and doing this out of their own you know egos Mm -hmm. and and that happens in art museums too like yeah yeah like totally like there is that conversation of open the archives we want to see what's in it and people and you know specific museums in new york you know france yeah oh well all over i mean honestly (laughs) the western the western sphere but in general all museums in this case like aren't going to just open their archives and, and then let all that information out um, right. For also political reasons in terms of not wanting to give anything back, but we won't get into it. <laughs> I, I, I will just say real quick, because you mentioned the time machine. You know what I would yeah. go back to if I had a time machine being a dinosaur paleontologist? I'd I'd go back to the earliest uh, uh, ancestor of T-Rex and just wipe out the entire species. <laughs> <laughs> just end them. There's, there's, a, there's a little Guan Long running around in the yeah. forest. Yeah, I just feel like... like just and suddenly, there's there's <laughs> Hillary on the back of a horse with a baseball bat. Yeah, just, just ending them because because of, because T Rex has ruined so much of paleontology. Yeah, I okay. mean, honestly, though, honestly, if we look at what we, we talk about we, this whole episode, T Rex. I know, I know. It, it, su- it sucks the air out of the room anywhere you go. You know, yeah. Joe, Joe, and I tried to have an exhibit where we talked about the work of Yoko Ono because she's an incredibly accomplished mm-hmm, mm-hmm. fine artist in her own right within mm-hmm. the Fluxus movement. But I believe we spent the first half of it still talking about the Beatles. Yeah, <laughs> even um, though even though we yes. said we wouldn't do that. Like yes. immediately in the beginning, yeah. but it was so So right away. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, yeah. say, I say I don't like T-Rex, and then I spend almost an hour talking yeah. about T-Rex. Yeah, well, but it, it's exploring the reasons, like, why. And if we yeah. want to also get into that, I mean, honestly, a lot of the popularity of T-Rex and Triceratops and those kind of iconic American dinosaurs, it's actually right. all um, the Sinclair Oil Company. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, definitely. From, from the World's Fair, like, 
all of those sculptures that they did as part of uh, the exhibit for the World's Fair, I think in the 30s, like that galvanized that the idea of those species as the as the, Amer- American, the American one. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, right, and right. you know, it, and it's so far reaching that, yeah, you're going to have museums all over the world that have a T-Rex in them. And you kind of are like, wait, this is one dinosaur from one geography from one specific part of time literally the end of the dinosaurs t-rex is only on the earth for like a sneeze like that's it (laughs) and yet we have devoted so much of our resources into this dinosaur it is it is just incredible to me yeah but but that that's like also the weird thing that i think you get into with 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 a museum, you are trying to craft an exhibit. You are trying to create a microcosmic experience, something right. small in a limited amount of space to represent a larger swath of history. Right, And right. we edit things down to try <laughs> and give someone an understanding as to what was happening over this period of time. And if that's a touchstone for people, that's what people kind of have to go to. And exactly. I imagine... It, 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 this kind of goes for all museums. You have to, you're, you're sort of like weirdly obligated to spend a certain amount of time talking about this well-known thing yeah. before you can, right. uh, before, before you can get, get to something um, yeah. more uh, local or more, frankly, more interesting. It's, it is, uh, it, it's yeah. a gateway, it's a gateway dinosaur. And, oh and my God. That's it a is. great way to and, put it. And, and even, I mean, even I will admit that, you know, it's it's a good way to bring people's interest in is by starting with the T-Rex, which is what everybody knows. Sure, um, and sure. it's and it's it's certainly if you have a skeleton, you are more likely going to get people in through the door and buying a yeah. ticket and potentially going to stay and then check out all the other stuff that you're working yeah. on. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I do. I do understand the value of it and despite me yeah. giving it so much shit i i do i yeah. do appreciate it because i have a job in some mm-hmm. ways because of the popular right, t-rex right. well it's like because even even for everything my... comes back to t-rex <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's well yeah you know i i have to i have to give primeval credit the uh, tv show <laughs> oh for, right i don't think they ever had a t-rex on they had a giganotosaurus on um, you know, one of the great disappointments of my childhood was realizing that those actors knew nothing about dinosaurs. And I think that's why I never got into fandom culture, because I saw an interview with the actors from Primeval and they're like showing them dinosaur toys and they're easy and they can't name what any oh, of them are. Oh, wow. And I just and I think I just realized in that moment, oh, they're actors. They don't know anything about this. You had that you had your self-aware moment where like, yes. you know, that's because that is interesting as a, as a thing too, right? Where like we don't yeah. necessarily like people identify so hard with that character who's supposed to know all this thing, but they don't. Yeah, you know, we don't realize they're an actor necessarily, and it happens a lot <laughs> yeah. in, in yes. fandom culture. Yeah. But like, but, but but you can then look at the weird fandom culture that pops up around these dinosaurs, and people take yeah. it deathly serious. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Well, like it's interesting. I I always am very curious. I guess for my own sake, I was, I was like, how did I not end up as a dinosaur, you know, a teenager, let's say? Because I was technically a dinosaur kid. I had a lot of them, like a lot. Everybody as toys. was. And if, yeah, uh, yeah. That was like, I think, a, ch- a childhood staple for many people. I guess I just never, it's like interesting. Like, I, I think you, as a kid, a lot of us, right, would 
it's like you you either go in towards the scientific route of wanting to know what you're looking at or you're mm-hmm. more into the fantastical element of playing with dinosaurs i was in the latter but it's yeah. interesting like all of these because like as we're having this conversation really what i'm focusing in on and starting to think more about is this one how t-rex is at the center of all of this but at the <laughs> same time but, but how much it's manipulated our lens of looking at dinosaurs maybe not yes. the both of you of course because of having the experience but like even right. for my own case of saying oh my god like that's very true when i would go to a museum that's the first thing you see if it's if there's dinosaur skeletons there if they right. have one right i think the one of the museums in the in chicago i saw i, I can't remember names I, that had it but even like the movies night at the museum right that's yeah. a main character Yes. Night at the Museum has that weird thing <laughs> that a lot of like mu- movies about museums have where there's right. one hall that has an Easter Island head, a dinosaur yeah. skeleton, and yes. then like also like uh some like right uh, like uh, like uh pottery or something. Which and is it's like, huh, what is, what is this an exhibit of? <laughs> Which is weird because it's a real place. So I never understood that, but right, anyway. like, yeah. Like, but like, yeah, you know, it, it, it really... doesn't even have any of the famous halls, the very famous <laughs> halls that are in the AMNH. <laughs> exactly. And it is based on a real museum, and it has nothing that. that is unique no, to I'm... that museum. Exactly. But I mean, to, to even to even underscore the point that you're making, Joe, you know, we we of course are or our research museum that I work at, uh-huh. we have named multiple species of dinosaur and very very iconic ones. Right? We have mm-hmm. named Nanaxaurus, a, a Alaskan theropod. We have named Pachyrhinosaurus proorum, which is a ceratopsian from Alaska. We have named a bird species from Texas that lived during the Cretaceous. But in our gift shop, every piece of dinosaur media has a T-Rex or a Triceratops on. We don't even have wow. a Triceratops anywhere in the museum. <laughs> we don't even have one on display. Oh, my God. We, so, so we are a museum that literally has our own dinosaurs that could be marketed and, and are recognizable. People, There was a whole movie, uh, the Walking with Dinosaurs movie, uh, back, I think back in 2015, was based on the Alaskan dinosaurs that we named, right? Huh. But all of the stuff we sell in our gift shop, and to be honest, any museum gift shop you go into, count the number of T-Rex paraphernalia versus anything else that maybe was actually in the museum and actually being researched by that institution. Yeah. Wow. That is... You need to decentralize paleontology. I'm so glad I've been able to come on here and preach the truth about T-Rex. Yeah, no, I mean, it is is so interesting, though. Now, now I hope if, you know, as our our listeners and viewers here uh, come come away from this conversation i think one thing to keep in mind is now count how many t-rex and triceratops merchandise you see in museums seriously Mm -hmm. count them see any any time that you see some sort of dinosaur media whether it's news or a tv show yeah see how many times they reference t-rex that's it's gonna haunt me. Yeah. It's never gonna yep. leave now. I'm just this is, this is one of those fun facts. This is how it is. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, once once you oh. can't unsee it, you yeah. know. Um Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean this is soup this was uh super interesting to, to get to talk <laughs> yes. about oh and God. to nerd out about and I alienate Joe. No, uh, no, I, I, I <laughs> this is incredible. I, I thank you so much, Hillary, for Oh for coming no, are here you kidding me? This is great. Us. It's really been an experience and I feel like I've <laughs> I've learned so much from this. It's like it's going back to school but being engaged in the conversation. It really was uh yes. interesting and like I think too it's not it 
it's alienating in a way, but it's also not because I might not know the tech, the technical sides or even the more specifics, but then at the same mm-hmm. time, I think being able to relate to this exact thing that we're talking about, right? This idea of 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 how yeah. you know, I guess, interacting with the museum and you know, so on as we right. discussed. And yeah. even even what what it what is value? What yeah, is happening yeah, exactly. in the paleo world? Yeah. Something something that I think is. People, of course, look at dinosaurs. I mean, most of the time they look at it for children, but mm-hmm. but there's almost this kind of religion around dinosaurs mm. and how every museum has to have a dinosaur in it and everything yeah. like that. And that idea of this thing that is kind of holy and, oh, my God, rare and right. only a certain number of people get to work on them now suddenly being auctioned off with fine art, Yeah, I think, yeah. I think has a lot of consequences that we are not hundred percent aware of and it'll be really yeah. interesting to see how it continues to develop because oh, yeah. you know the, the the cat's out of the bag on this one you know oh, yeah. we can't we can't go back saying oh fossils are worthless you no. should spend yeah. millions of dollars um as far as i'm concerned if another t-rex is found go good riddance you know if i found a t-rex i would bury it just, just instantly <laughs> be like i didn't see i didn't see shit right right, right. <laughs> one, one of again one of my one of my good friends anthony who who works a lot in the hell creek and, and does a lot of really amazing stuff with with different animals he has this notion and i completely agree with him that t-rex is cursed because <laughs> because the majority of people that have ever found a t-rex mm-hmm. a lot of shit has happened to them oh man <laughs> yes okay, like interesting. just That's... drama did, did did barnum brown have like a tragic end I, I don't know, but maybe maybe mm. we need to do a whole episode yeah, on him we're gonna to have find to out. Yeah, now we gotta now we gotta look into this because throwback to first yeah. objects. Well, yeah, yes. no, it's it's like it's like a King Tut type of thing. I mean, you know, I imagine if we had an Egyptologist on, they would probably say something similar about King Tut and Cleopatra, yes. right? You know, right, like yes. right. yeah, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, it's it's so interesting to you know one get the inside scoop but also <laughs> yes. uh, oh i've but, got lots i've got lots of scoops on lots of different oh yes yes no. paleo. <laughs> yeah um it hillary where knows where all the bodies are buried um, oh yeah oh yeah. i know i'm, Li- I'm literal, put literally there. literally <laughs> <laughs> um it, but also hearing i'm really glad that you brought the nuance yes. in as well yeah. that goes with this because like you said, there are there are um, genuine people that are involved in um, you know for profit paleontology, and mm-hmm. there, there's there's good and bad people on sort of both sides of right. this, oh, totally. unfortunately, which makes it a more complex thing uh, than just you know everything needs to be in the public or everything needs to be you know um, decentered and uh, yeah. everyone just has a bun- their own. Uh, uh, drawers filled with loose uh, dinosaur fossils. Right. And again, if you if, if you're buying a, a T Rex tooth, great, enjoy that. Display yeah. that on display that on your shelf somewhere. Tell your friends about it. That's really freaking cool. But if you have potentially a new dromaeosaur from the Hell Creek and you have an arm bone, then call your museum first, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know. But as bad as bad as they all as all of this are at le- and as bad as paleo people can be, you know, at least we're not bird watchers. Those freaking yes. perverts. The worst. The absolute worst. <laughs> although, although, Zan, dinosaurs, birds are dinosaurs, so technically... Birds I'm... are dinosaurs. Right. You know what? Uh, Am I a bird out- watcher? Oh, God. Don't tell, don't tell uh, your uh, lab volunteer, Brooks, that. 
<laughs> he know he knows what he is. Yeah. Shout out, shout out to Brooks, by the way. Love you, buddy. My lab, my lab gremlin. Yes, couldn't do yes. without him. Oh yeah, oh, everybody God. needs a lab gremlin. Oh um, yes, especially if you work in the basement. Um, and I, and I and, and I mean that that just real you know real quick is like a last yeah. little little yeah. plug. Um, a lot of people don't don't realize that the majority of paleontology, especially fossil preparation and curation, like going into collections, right. is done by volunteers. Um, a lot of folks always assume that you have to have a higher degree in order to work with bones. Uh-huh. And are you going to be publishing a paper? No, probably not. But I am just myself. I have one other paid staff. And then I have 15 volunteers in my lab that do the majority of the work. So if paleontology Mm -hmm. is something you are really super duper interested in and you're not a 15-year-old boy, you absolutely can contact (laughs) your local museum if they have a fossil prep lab, if they have a paleo department, and see about volunteering. That's how I started in this field. That's how you get experience. And often that's how you get to do digging and you get to work with the bones and you get to see the stuff that's in collections is by volunteering for your museums. Mm-hmm. Wow! Mm-hmm. Incred- so sh- yeah, volunteer. Get out there. Yeah. Go do it. Do it. Call, call to action. Volunteer call. specifically with Hillary. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> call your local if, museum. If you're if you're a T Rex fan though, don't even bother applying. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. the kind of, yeah. That's the criteria. <laughs> yeah. No. This this has been amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I gotta thank Hillary again for you know just the the guidance uh, yes. in my life she's given Aww. me. But also, yeah, for uh, for coming on our coming coming into our Rinky Dink Museum when uh, she <laughs> she has a real museum with real work that she yeah. does making time in her busy schedule <laughs> for introducing me to uh, the the celebrities of uh, paleo art, dinosaur comics, yes. Gummy Dragon, and Bluntosaurus. Uh, yes, and 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 I will say Zan has met Pete Larson, so so send I have, emails. To I him. have. You know what? You know what? You smell I, I, this musk. I oh. I I want to have a mustache like that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, this is. Thank you sincerely for having me on. I've I've always been yeah. a fan of of y'all's uh, oh. work that you do here. But uh, you know, next time, how about uh, Diet Coke instead of just water? Yeah. Okay? yeah. Sure. 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 We'll get All right. Put, put it put it in your rider. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Only the brown M and M's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, my god. Yeah. Great. Um, great. Well, thank you again, Hillary. Um, do you have anything uh you would like to plug that is uh related to your work or the museum uh you oh. do work at? Um, sure. So I, I am at the Perot Museum of Nature and Science in Dallas, Texas. So if you are in the area, please feel free to come up and come say hello. I love love meeting folks. Uh, and especially if you listen to this podcast, love to meet you as well. Um, I am on social media under uh, Sky Bison. So Sky underscore B number one S-O-N on Instagram and Fossil I-U-S, uh, Fossil I-U-S on Twitter. Uh, and I tend to post paleo stuff on there with a little bit of slice of life, but I, I love doing what is it Wednesdays where I'll post something from our collections that's kind of kooky and people <laughs> take a guess at what they think it is, which I think is really fun. But uh, yeah, I definitely, you know, check check out your local museum, support your paleontology department, donate if you have the ability to. Museums are really, really struggling right mm. now. So if, if you can do that, uh, mm-hmm. I, that would go 
uh, that would make me very, very happy. <laughs> yes, yes. I always Absolutely. read it. I, it's interesting hearing you say that out loud because I always read it in my head as Vasilius. Uh, you oh. know, I don't actually know how to say my own username. I just make it up every single time. Oh, man. Uh, what about you, Joe? You got anything to plug? Um, Not too much. I think I have two by... I guess it'd be the week after this, so you know that that this is airing. So uh, I have two exhibitions coming out: one with Tiger Strikes Asteroid, and another with the Airgram Project. I think is the name of the artist collective that's running it. Uh, from a, it's a, it's exhibitions based from the artist in residence at the SVA's um, uh, artist residency project. So check those out; they're going to be online. Uh, that's pretty much all that's really happening right now in my sphere that I can like say out loud how about cool, you zan cool. um i also have some stuff that's in the works i can't announce just yet because i don't know when it's happening um <laughs> but i am currently in the then and now show in st petersburg and i will be in the upcoming show critters at the mize gallery also in st petersburg um yeah those uh uh it, it, the then and now show is especially cool because i have some stuff on display from my undergrad thesis uh, displayed alongside stuff uh, from my current master's thesis. Mm -hmm. So it's a cool uh, jump in time and um, unfortunately ability that happened in between those two <laughs> things. So uh, I have to look at. Uh, Still looks great. Still look great together. Yeah. Eh, I, you know, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you uh, for coming today to the Uncanny County Museum. I uh, want to thank our guest again, Hillary McLean. If you want to find the museum after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. You can find me at Xanosaurus. You can find me at, at Josemino Art. And from the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Josemino. And I guess I've been Hillary McLean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, indeed. Bye.